0: Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock.
1: Welcome back to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. My name is Clayton Craddock, and today's guest is Joshua Samuels. Josh and I go way, way back. We met a while ago when I was the drummer for the off-Broadway musical Altar Boys. He later subbed on the show and many more in his early career in New York City. He networked his way into the Broadway scene and landed the percussion chair multiple times at the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. He also subbed on the Broadway musicals Aladdin, Miss Saigon, Sunset Boulevard, Jersey Boys, Bronx Tale, On the 20th Century, Nice Work If You Can Get It, Chaplin and Godspell. And he landed his first chair as the percussionist for the Broadway musical Beetlejuice.
2: Go home. Stack banana,
1: He's an incredible drummer and an excellent networker. I highly recommend listening to what he has to say about meeting people, making the right connections to jumpstart a career, what it takes to be a great sub and what it's like auditioning and later landing the percussion chair at the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. Look, I can't say enough good things about this guy, so I'm just going to let him tell his story. Ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Samuels. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My name is Clayton Craddock, and today's guest is Josh Samuels. He is the man. He is the king. He is a... (laughs) I can't say enough good things about him. I, I say that, you know, I use those words sparingly, but this guy is the man. And, and you'll find out why right now. Welcome.
2: First of all, it's that beautiful voice, man. That's why you're getting so much traction with these podcasts. Oh, my goodness.
1: Oh, uh, Thank you, man. It's <laughs> all those Barry White records I grew up listening to. But I won't be speaking like that to you.
2: oh i love it please it gets me in the mood
1: (laughs) play a flam my brother play a flam (laughs) Flam a diddles are what turns me (laughs) (laughs) hey man so i i know you live in new jersey now did you grow up in new jersey
2: no sir i grew up in los angeles i grew up in california oh really um I grew up in California. Um, I was very fortunate at a young age because um, you know, my uncle is Dave it, well was the late great Dave Samuels
1: mm. who passed
2: away uh unfortunately uh I, I it was a little over a year ago, maybe maybe almost two years now. Um but I was very fortunate to to he, you know, he lived in you know, New York, Connecticut, while I was growing up, but he would often come around with, uh, with a lot of his projects, the Caribbean Jazz Project, uh, stuff that he was doing uh, in California, and I would uh, get lessons from him at a very, very young age. You know, he was teaching me vibes, and mallets, and theory. Uh, oftentimes, I really, I think about those times, and, you know, I was real young, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, and sometimes I think to myself, man, like, I, I really wish I had paid a little bit more attention
1: you know, because
2: that guy, I mean, that guy was the master, you know, and he was just, you know, he would try to teach me theory things and I would just listen and look at him and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, but, you know, you're a kid. So I try to, you know, I try to honor him as much as I can and you know, be the best musician I can be.
1: Watching him play was your first musical memory? Like, what was the thing that, was it? Was that the thing that said, you know what, I want to play drums and percussion?
2: No, actually when I uh I started when I was very young. My mom's got me lessons on drum set when I was two and a half. I started playing. And uh I was in this uh dance and singing group that 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 toured around California when I was about three, four, five. I was doing these like singing shows um as as like a young young kid with these like this like dance and jingle group for for children. And it was it was it was really early on about then that I knew that I was going to be a performer. the 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 difference was is that it, it's it's a very interesting story because I was always um, there were always two sides of Josh. There was the musician side, which was always playing drums, playing piano, playing music, etc. And then there was performing, and all throughout my life, uh, th- there were two separate things. There was like me on stage, and then there was me in uh, doing or- orchestra, drums, bands, all that stuff. And it wasn't until very late in life, not late in life, but later on that I realized that that was my calling, that I should actually put them together. Because, you know, in, in middle school, high school, I was doing all the, uh, the the honor orchestras, and I got to play with the L.A. Phil when I was in high school. There was like an L.A. Phil uh, honor orchestra that I got to play in. and But during that time, I was also... On stage, you know doing community theater doing um uh you know shows in my high school and uh, you know i wasn't very i wasn't a very good performer i mean i was i was a i wasn't a great singer, i should say uh but you know I loved it, i loved doing it, and um you know even in high school, I remember all of my friends in the in the bands and orchestras they'd be in the pit, and I'd be on stage and it never occurred to me ever never occurred to me to to think oh, you know, maybe I should be in the pit playing the music. I, it was just always separate. And then it was the same thing in college. I would do shows and I would play in the orchestra and play in my bands. And then uh, when I got to, uh, after, after college, I started working on cruise ships. And when I worked on cruise ships, um, well, to be honest, the quality of musicianship on the cruise ships wasn't very high. And because of that, I became music director of, the, of like the entire like the entire ship at like 21. but but that was when I realized, because that's when you know the bands were playing in the pits and I started playing in the pits for the shows, and I went, my god, this is this is my calling. this is what I'm supposed to do because I was really good at music and I loved performing, and this was the perfect avenue for me. I went, wow, I can I can play my favorite shows, perform and still be a part of theater and do what I do best.
1: And that's how you got Beetlejuice. Thank you for. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Yep. The next day.
2: The next day.
1: The next day. You moved to yeah. New York. Got Beetlejuice. Thank you for joining me, on Broadway. <laughs> Man, sped through your life real quick. Hold on. Hold on. One second. Hold on. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm no. Sorry. But that's fascinating. There, there's a lot yeah. that you that you said there. Two and a half is when you got your first drum set.
2: Yes, sir. Yeah. My God.
1: Did, what, yeah, did I couldn't it have reach like, the pedals. What's that?
2: Couldn't reach the pedals. Couldn't reach the pedals.
1: <laughs> did it have like paper heads on it or were they actually remote?
2: Drumming? No, it was a real, it was a real kid. It was like a real like Tama Jr. kid, but I couldn't even reach the pet pedals. Wow. You know, and my mom would just teach me paradiddles. She says it to this day. She says, I remember when you were three, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left.
1: I'm like, okay, thanks, mom. Thanks. Is she a musician too? <laughs>
2: She's a singer and a guitar player. I mean, she's not, not for a living, but yeah. Oh, yes. My very musical family.
1: Very musical. Did you have uh, specific drummers that you uh, w- looked up to when you were younger? Like, so, so top five drummers that you looked up to when you were younger and you're either, at, you know, junior high or high school.
2: Wow, interesting. I know it probably I evolved, mean, but... Oh, it, de- it definitely evolved. I mean, when I was in middle school, everybody was into, like... You know, we were all into, like, the fusion drummers, man. Like, when I was growing up, we were listening to Vinnie Caliuta and Steve Gadd and Dennis Chambers. I remember reading all about Dennis Chambers on um, Modern Drummer. Man, I used to get every single Modern Drummer. I used to sit in my room and just read through those, try to, like, play some of the grooves. Do they still have that magazine?
1: Yes, they do. (sighs) I used to, this one of the reasons why I'm doing this is because, I think I might have told you, in 1981, they had a Broadway Drummers Roundtable, and I, that was 40 years ago. And I was like, "40 years ago in August." And I was like, "Why don't they have something like that now?" Absolutely. And Now we do. Absolutely. So hopefully, uh, we'll have something in Modern Drummer moving forward with more features with Broadway Drummers. But yes, I used to have the. <clears throat> excuse me. I used to have a subscription as well. You know, mine started kind of when. They, um, when they first started, kind of like in, I think they started in 77, 78. I had one in like mm. 79, all the way through like the 90s. Then I gave all of my, uh, I think I had them in Connecticut at my parents' house, and I gave them to a colleague of ours and, and, uh, spreading the, 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 the knowledge to other people. But yes, Modern Drummery. So you were reading it back in, uh, was that the 80s? 90s? No,
2: yeah. Yeah, maybe late '80s, early '90s, middle school, high school. Okay, Uh, I I loved that man. I loved that magazine. What a great resource for us. Did you You play before the internet?
1: Did you play any uh, like fusion bands back then?
2: Yeah, oh yeah, I was always playing in a lot of those band, like a lot of fusion bands, a lot of uh, funky music, a lot of Rush style groups. You know, that's like that was like. You know, I remember my friend coming to school in like seventh grade. He had like Rush shaved into his head. You know, we were like Rush <laughs> fanatics, man. You know, but then you know, it, as in high school, I started getting into more of like the experimental side, and like I really, um, I really enjoyed listening to um, John Fishman of Fish. He is uh, he's a really phenomenal drummer, a really phenomenal musician. Um, and also, um, you know, I listen to a lot of, you know, Dave Matthews band as well. I mean, that, that guy, Carter Buford, he, I mean, he's, he might be my favorite drummer of all time, Carter. Oh, I mean, wow. he is just, and, and he, he, and, and the reason is, is because he's, it's, it's, it's where he places the notes. It's his pocket, you know, that's, it's, it's so precise. It feels so good the way he plays. And I just, I've been to so many, you know, I remember going to so many Dave Matthews concerts and I would just stare at him and just, I, I, it was like, it was love at first sight, man. (laughs) You know, I just, it's phenomenal playing. So I think I really started to model my drumming after those players, um, more, more, more like more pocket players. I remember, um, one things that, one of the things that really influenced me actually in high school was I remember going to see the, uh, to, a to like a master class with the late great Ed Shaughnessy uh, who was a great big band player. And I remember him, you know, he was doing a lot of records at the time that was like back when, you know, records were still, were still rolling. And um, I remember him saying something to the group like, Hey, so um, who practices, you know, over the bar fills and like poly polyrhythms and like really crazy stuff. And everybody in the audience went, yeah, yeah, man. Like we're into that. We're into that shit, you know. Or excuse me, excuse me. You know we're into that stuff. And uh, you right, know, right. and I was like, and he said he turned to everybody. He said, you know, I sit in my in my house and I put on that click, and all I do is practice two and four. And every time I go into that studio and I hit two and four right to that click, I'm making five hundred. I'm making five hundred bucks. So you all can go and practice your crazy polyrhythm over the bar fills. I'm going to keep the pocket. I'm going to keep the groove and I'm going to keep making money. (laughs) And I was like, damn, like, wow, man, that is an eye opener, you know, like time, 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 you know, that was a big,
1: yeah. Wow. Yes, sir. That's, that's, that's great advice actually.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a big eye opener, you know, because we all grew up in that, in that era of like, Oh man, I want to play as many notes as I can. And, you know, which is, I mean, which is cool. I mean, that's you know, but yeah, that's not the way to make money anymore. You can't yeah. make money that way.
1: I found, I found the fewer notes that I play, the more I get paid. One hundred percent.
2: The note to dollar ratio. One
1: hundred percent, man. Yes, this the new math, the new drum math. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in in Los Angeles. So you went to college where?
2: I went to college uh, at USC in California.
1: Oh, man. When I was in L.A. Uh, in 2018, out of doing the out-of-town trials for Ain't... Not out-of-town trials, but the out-of-town run for Ain't Too Proud. I did a lot of traveling around Los Angeles, and I eventually just went to... I took the the train. I didn't realize L.A. had underground and above-ground trains. I'm like this is like earthquake central and there's like <laughs> subways and in, in Los Angeles. I'm yes. like, people are taking it. And I did, <laughs> but you know, I took a train down to USC and it's, it's a, it's massive, man. It's a,
2: yeah,
1: it's a big place. That I was, didn't get it. I that was a great just, school. Now why USC and not some other uh, school like Berkeley or North Texas state or Juilliard or some other place?
2: Well, um, I did get into a lot of schools, most of the schools that I applied to on the East coast, I got into, but, um, well, to, 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 to tell you the honest truth. I was, I was, uh, I was in love with a girl at the time in, 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 in in, in California. And I decided to stay in California to be with her. <laughs> that's, that's the honest truth. And, uh, uh, I have a lot of teachers, you know, my high school teacher, uh, Still chastises me to this day saying, hey, man, you should have gone to New York earlier. I mean, it's fine. It worked out fine, obviously. But, you know, I I think if I had, you know, if I had a better head on my shoulders, then I probably would have should have just gone to New York. But but I went to USC. They were great. You know, that was it was it was it was a good school. I got to study, you know, I got to take drum lessons with Ndugu. You know, that was pretty amazing. Um, I was also, you know, I was in the the the, the percussion program, so I got to um um you know I, I got to play with guys from the LA Phil, uh Raynard Carroll and all those all those cats that were like real, you know, heroes of mine. So so it wasn't it wasn't uh, the end all, but uh you know, I certainly had my reasons to stay in California.
1: <laughs> now in the in the beginning of our conversation, you were mentioning that there were things that you were doing that you saw people playing in a pit. When you were in LA, did you what at what point did you say, you know what, I don't want to stay in LA anymore? I want to go to New York and try the whole Broadway wow. thing.
2: So what ended up happening was, um I always knew that I wanted to be in theater. I just didn't know, uh, you know, how, how I was going to do it, you know, whether performing or playing or whatever. And, um, I met a really good friend of mine in college who, uh, is a composer. And after all the cruise ship work that I did, I did a couple of, uh, uh, you know, a couple of contracts on the, on the ships. And, um, I remember my friend, this composer, he started sending me all this, all, all of these, uh, shows that he was doing. And he was like, Hey man, put a drum part to this, put a drum part to this. So I would just go on finale. I'd write these really great drum parts for him. And eventually he was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of concerts of my music. Will you come out to New York and plan, play these for me? And I went, sure. You know, and he's like, come out, you can stay on my couch for a couple of weeks and uh, you know, you'll play these shows. And I didn't plan on, I wasn't planning on moving out to New York. I thought I was just coming out for a couple of weeks, but this guy was very well connected in the scene is is well connected in the scene and he ended up introducing me to so many music directors that all of a sudden I had work for like three months now it wasn't necessarily paid work let's say you know I had I had gotten and I had done enough work on cruise ships that I had some money saved so I could kind of dick around and not have to worry about you know money at the moment, you know, and not have to like get a a day job that I could really just focus on playing as much as possible. And I was playing for like three months and I just, I stayed on his couch and I, and I told my father, I said, well, damn, I I guess start sending my stuff out. And my dad sent boxes, you know, you like just send a box of clothes, send a box of drums. Finally, I was like, I need my drums, dad. And he sent my drums, you know, and (laughs) That's how it started. And I didn't even, I wasn't even moving to New York and I moved to New York, you know, but, but the craziest thing, and this is like, what made me know that I was doing, or that let me know that I was doing the right thing is on the third day, the third day I was in New York, my friend, uh, this composer told me, he said, he didn't, he knew a lot of music directors, which is what he was introducing me to. And a lot of these music directors, you know, I had long-term relationships with them and we can go into that. Idea of like you know because I started working with a lot of these cats mostly sometimes for free sometimes for a very little amount of money but as they got better and as they got more work they would bring me along and I became you know more prominent in the scene the the one person my friend told me he said listen I don't know any musicians here I know music directors but I you know because I was going around the city like putting up signs like hey do you need a drummer do you need a drummer call like this was like you know this was you know, basic stuff, you know, like, uh, I was doing anything I could to get work. And he said, listen, if you could get a hold of Gary Seligson, he's the only drummer I know. And maybe you could like talk to him about this stuff, you know? And I was like, that was, I remember I had a book and like a book of like names, you know, with their numbers. And his was the first name. And I said, I gotta meet this guy. I gotta meet this guy. And on the third day I was, I was in the subway with my symbols. I walk on the subway car and who's sitting there with his symbols. Gary. And I go, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know. I didn't know a picture. I didn't have a picture of him. I didn't know, but I I turned to him and I said, Oh, you're on a gig too today. Huh? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'm Josh. He said, I'm Gary. I went Gary. And that's how I met Gary. And he, you know, he ended up, we ended up going out and chatting and you know, he, he actually um, hooked me up with Michael Kreuter uh, from Avenue Q so I could go watch him. But it was just, that was the beginning of meeting people in the city. You know, and that was that's when I went, wow, something something's going on here. You know, I'm maybe this is what I'm meant to do. Gary
1: is like the sun and everyone revolves around. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but he gives yes. out such great energy. <laughs> yes. All he, the light. Yeah. And, and, you know, just talking to him and realizing how many careers he's like launched, <laughs> including mine Absolutely. to a certain degree. I mean, Matt Beck is the, really the guy that brought me into this whole thing. But. The first person I saw play in a Broadway pit was Gary Seligson at Aida. He said, "Come on down." I was like, "Okay." That just shows you, you know, how great of a person he is and how important absolutely to this business he is.
2: So you yeah, met and I Ga- think mine was—I I think mine was the same. Was Billy? Was was Billy Elliot? You know, I think that was the first that I saw as well. He was like, "Hey, come come watch me play Billy Elliot."
1: So, wow. uh, you met Gary. And then he recommended you for other things or how? Did, how did
2: no, he didn't. He didn't necessarily. He didn't recommend me. No, no, no. Uh, it took a lot longer than that. He just got me in the scene and kind of got me pointed me in the right direction. Uh, you know, uh, basically the whole thing is you just got to meet people. You just got to be cool, be a good guy, be fun to be around and just meet people, you know, and that was the whole thing. And that's, and that's, you know, I tell a lot of people, you know, it's like really important when you come out, you know, if you want to do this for a living to have a little buffer, you know, like I said, cause I had some, I had some money saved from the cruise ship. So I didn't, I could spend every waking moment, contacting musicians, contacting drummers, trying to meet up, trying to meet up with Clayton, you know, like that's, that was like my MO, you know, that was my whole thing. That was my whole life. That's what I lived. That's what I did. And that's what you got to do, you know, you got to, because even now, even now when, you know, I get, I get, we all get called all the time for gigs, you know, and, and if I can't do a gig, my, I'm always thinking about, it's almost, it's almost like a, like a response. Like I always think about the person that I really like last talked to almost, you know, it's almost like, you know, oh yeah, yesterday, uh, Uh, this kid called me, he's like new in the city. I'll, I'll throw him a bone. I'll throw this to him. So if you're, if you're constantly pushing and meeting people and keeping yourself in mind, in their minds, you'll get more work. And that's, that's the, that's the job, you know, always emailing, always calling. Now, you know, there's, there's a skill in that, you know, because you don't want to be annoying. You know, it's, it's a people game. It's a people's game. You have to know how to approach people. And figure out what pisses them off, what they want is it okay if I call Clayton on the phone? would he rather me email him? you know like like does does is this he giving me vibes that like maybe I should like stop bugging him okay that's cool like i won't I won't email him for a little while. you know what I mean like it's definitely you definitely have to like use a lot you know your brain you know
1: one of the things that my girlfriend uh talks about because she uh is a career coach and she talks about how to uh, respond to people in the manner in which they want to be responded to. Like if they say, you know, text me about this or call me or email me, then do that. Because if, you know, if you say, text me back or about this, then you call them, you're like, then they hang up on you. They're like, I told you to text me. 100%. It's it's just, like you said, it's a people skills, uh, people skills skill (laughs) that, people need to uh to understand and manage. Now, we met through one of the things that you talked about was basically reaching out. How did you start reaching out to drummers on Broadway and percussionists in order to try to break in? What are some of the things that you did?
2: So, um I learned very early on that um joining the union was a good key. You know, they had a lot of uh they had a good a, a lot of good um you know, resources, they had a lot of, they had different things. And one of the things that they had that now I think is online, I think everything's online now, but at the time it wasn't. Um, I went to the union and I, they printed out um, a packet of, for me of every single person on Broadway and their, you know, their instruments. And so I was just able to, to email every single guy that I could, that I knew that, that they gave me, and just, just to meet with them, not you know, I wasn't trying to hustle for work, I wasn't trying to be, you know, a jerk, you know, or, or think that I was like all that or anything. I was just trying to meet people, you know, and so that's 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 what I did, you know. And it another so so that was one thing was like meeting people that way and, and getting all those resources from from 802 and, and 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 kind of cold calling people but also another thing that I heard which which this is now this is an iffy this is an iffy but to take lessons with some people that you really admire um, now that's tricky because you never want to put yourself in a situation where somebody feels that they are above you because you know if you if I if someone goes to, to me for a lesson, they've, they're now a student and I'm the teacher, you know, and I'm not looking at, at them necessarily as equal, which is very important in this business. Um, but at the time I was like, you know, um, I want to get better with my hand drum stuff. Um, and I knew Doug uh, Hendricks was, was doing In the Heights. I love that show. Um, and I'm a big transcriber. I love transcribing. I used to transcribe people's solos. I used to transcribe gab. I used to transcribe musical theater stuff. One of the, one of the things I transcribed was in the Heights. Um, I would, I just picked like five or six tunes that I loved. Um, you know, the salsa number, the opening, the, uh, the end of act one. And I transcribed it and I brought it to Doug and I started taking lessons with Doug and, it just so happened that there was an opening uh, at In the Heights, and um, I was still making the rounds. And there was this other guy named Danny Taylor who was from a, a similar area of California, and he was doing a show called The Marvelous Wonderettes off Broadway at the time. And Doug asked Danny to sub for him at In the Heights, and Danny and Doug and Danny asked Doug. He said, "Well." If I'm going to sub for you, I need to sub for Marvelous Wonderettes. What do I do? And Doug says, well, you know what? There's the student of mine who's, who, you know, who's good, and why don't you use Josh? And that was, that was the start. So ah. that was like my first off-Broadway job, um, and that kind of gave me a little, little bit of clout because then when I met you, Clayton, I was at least able to say, hey, man, I have something. I'm playing off-Broadway at Marvelous Wonderettes. And you were like, okay, ding. Like, I'll remember that. And I got very lucky because you were such a, you, Clayton, are such a good guy that when you left Alter Boys and Mo Roberts took over for you, you actually gave Mo Roberts my name, which got me into New World Stages, which kind of upped my status a little bit in the scene, you know?
1: How did you prepare to sub at that show?
2: Um, I am insane when it comes to subbing. I am, um, I'm very obsessed with compulsive. I actually like, I'm actually obsessed with compulsive. Like I've been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I'm very meticulous. And I have, I have what they call perfectionistic OCD, which means I need to do everything perfectly. So when I sub, when you, when you gave me, your book for altar boys, I transcribed the crap out of what you were playing to a T and I have always done that for any show that I've ever done. Um, and I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a good story about that because, um, if you don't mind, I'll tell you a story. So doing all this off Broadway stuff, um, so the person that really got me into Broadway was Mr. Shannon Ford. He's kind of my mentor. He's like he's, you know, in, in the business. Uh him and really John Redsecker, who's the drummer of Aladdin. Um, they were really big influences uh for me. And um when I when Shannon told me that I could sub for him at Godspell, um, I took months and I would go to watch him play, and I recorded him several times. And I would analyze the recordings and I, I would be able to tell you exactly where he was doing a fill that wasn't that that he doesn't do all the time or fills that he would do all the time. And I just I basically distinguished a track of a perfect take of him doing stuff that he always does and stuff that he does sometimes. And I transcribed that to a team now. And when I would practice that to that for months, I had you know, the, uh, the ultra phones, you know, I practiced with the ultra phones. So I couldn't really hear my, my drums. I would just be hearing his mix. Right. So I'm practicing and I'm literally practicing to his mix, listening to him, him playing and I'm playing and I'm practicing. And when I first did the show, and I'm listening. Now, I, I put on his mix, right? Because I, uh, I practiced to his mix. But when we started the hit and I started playing, my first thought was, my God, Shannon sounds good. Because, <laughs> because what I was hearing was exactly what I had been practicing to. You know, it was literally like I have been hearing it and then I'm playing it, but I'm still hearing exactly the same thing that I've been practicing to. And like that was the key. You know, nobody knew that it wasn't Shannon to a T, you know what I mean? And like, that's, I think that's where I excelled because I think no one's as crazy as that. Like I would sit for a half an hour on five seconds of music, five seconds of music. I'd sit for half an hour. Now, do I think that's really necessary now knowing maybe that's a little extreme, you know, because now, now I have a little bit of a different approach because now I've held my own chair and I've seen subs come in for Shannon and I've seen what are great subs and what are, are not so great subs. And oftentimes maybe the the amount of work that I put in for five seconds was a little extreme because maybe that doesn't really matter per se, you know, those five seconds. But the fact that I spent so much time on it helped me in the long run, you know, help me be a better player. So, you know, when I, when I look at sometimes, sometimes people will come in and they'll play exactly what Shannon was playing, but they don't sound like him or they don't sound as good. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's not really it. Or they'll come in and they'll play their own thing and kind of they're playing what Shannon does, but they're so in the pocket. They know the show so well that I'm like, that's it. So maybe it's a combination of playing what the player does, but also knowing the show so intrinsically. You know, and so maybe maybe that was also a big part of it was listening to the show a million times, you know, besides transcribing those five seconds. I'm pretty sure those five seconds didn't really make a difference, you know.
0: If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons, an opportunity to watch Clayton play in the pit of his show, and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening.
1: So since you're a perfectionist, when you subbed your first show, did you get notes? And if you did, how did you take those notes? Did you take uh, it personally? Or were you like, you know, I did it perfectly. What are you talking about?
2: Uh, it, 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 Sometimes it's very difficult for me to get notes. Uh, I, don't, I don't ever show that, that I'm maybe a little bit frustrated when I get notes because I try to be so perfect. And when if somebody says, hey, that wasn't perfect, that, that really like gets, gets under my skin, especially if it was perfect and they're saying something that I don't necessarily agree with. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's not my call. That is not my job. I'm not there to say anything other than do my job. So if somebody comes up to me and they say, Hey man, you know, uh, your your you know your kick drum wasn't playing uh on B4. And I'm thinking, no way, man, kick drum was playing on B four. But I don't say that. I just go, absolutely, man, I will play the kick drum on B4 next time, you know? Because other what what am I gonna gain? You know, it's not my job, you know. And I, I you know, I think I, I got very lucky because I kind of like learned that uh early on um you know to kind of just like keep your mouth shut you know that it's not that you can't you know i used to get like very frustrated because like especially in the beginning when when somebody would come in you know we'd be playing it like a i'd be doing a small hit at like some club like with like 100 people and somebody'd be like yo man the drums are too loud can you play with blastics and i'd be like that would get under my skin so much because i'd think you know you wouldn't ask a saxophone player to play with a different reed you know, you wouldn't ask, you know, you wouldn't ask those things. Like, just tell me to play softer. And, and in the beginning, I might've sta- stood up and been like, no, man, I'm going to play with sticks. Just tell me to play softer. But very quickly I realized, Hey man, like, that's not the game. You know, that's not, it's not my job. You know? Yeah. Does it feel better to me to play with sticks? Of course. But if the guy in the front who's paying my check wants me to play it with, you know, blast or brushes, I'll play with plastics or brushes. Fine. That's what you got to do. That's, that's the job. So I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, you go ahead. Go ahead. So
2: I, so I did, I did get notes. Um, uh, Charlie, Charlie was the music director. Um, um, uh, Charlie Alterman was the, was the, was the music director for Godspell. And he's also a very big perfectionist and wants very specific things. So he did have some notes for me. Um, you know, a lot, maybe some volume things and some, you know, and, and that was fine, you know, and I was just, you know, I just nod my head, whatever Charlie said, rained, you know, that was, that's the game.
1: Did you go from uh one off Broadway show Which you know, you started out with the marvelous wonderettes, Did you go from that to another off Broadway or was it to uh Godspill?
2: Um, I, those two were basically the, 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 you know, the beginning shows. Um, and then it was, you know, I was doing that for maybe a year or two before I met Shannon for, um, for Godspell. Mm -hmm. Um, I happened to be, I think I, I got a little bit, I got a little bit lucky because I think, you know, I think it was a little bit fast for me. You know, I mean, I had, I moved to New York in 2008 and I, I subbed for Shannon in 2011, which is pretty quick. That's a pretty quick turnaround. But I got very lucky with Shannon because it just so happened that I, I was working with so many people that um, that summer of Godspell, um, when I met Shannon, I was able to tell him, um, you know, Shannon Shannon was... Uh, after Damien, he was the drummer for Next to Normal. And it just so happened that that summer I was playing with every single band member from Next to Normal in some capacity. You know, I was playing with the guitarist with this group. I was playing with the bass player in this group. I was playing with this singer I was playing. So they all knew me in all these different capacities. So it was very easy for me to go to Shannon and say, listen, Shannon, like your Next to Normal family who you're very close with, all you have to do is call any one of those people and they'll tell you, my skill level and my capacity and what I can do. And so that was, that was a huge step for me because he had no idea who I was or what I was capable of, but because I networked accordingly and knew all the people that he knew, they were able to vouch for me.
1: So speaking of networking, let's go back to 2008. I left Alta boys in 2009. Uh, Yeah. Man, as a pretty quick... So when did you start Marvelous Wonderettes?
2: Marvelous Wonderettes was probably... Yeah, probably 2009. It was mm-hmm. right around, right a little bit, probably a little bit before you left. I remember it being pretty quick.
1: Wow. So yeah. tell everybody, I mean, you remember how we met. I, I just remember you reaching out to me and then we went to dinner someplace in like on Ninth Avenue or something like that. And, you know, I just, yes, because we just had a great conversation and just like we're doing now. And, you know, you get a general feel for somebody when you meet face to face with them. And, you know, like you talked about, some people want to take lessons. Some people just want to um, meet just to hang out. And some people just like, you know, let's meet because I just want a gig. And, you know, I didn't see that from you at all, as far as just you know, just meeting just to get a gig. I just knew that you were just eager to get into the to, into the scene, and you know, just having a great vibe and us connecting on a personal level is it really, you know, struck me. So the reason why you're so successful now is because you have a personality, and you've of course you have a skill set that allows you to do this kind of work. But we met. And uh, I referred you to Mo, and you wound up going to Alter Boys. But you did a whole bunch of other things in addition to, you know, Alter Boys and the Marvelous Wonderettes Marvelous like Heathers and Carrie and Sisters Follies, you know. Was that all coming together at one certain time period, or how did all those shows work out? Was it over a well, series of years?
2: It, 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 it was. Well, it when, when, when I played Godspell, I think, um, you know, our, our communities really w- – w- let me just go back to, to – be, before we talk about this, you know, I, I think part of, the, part of the attitude, Clayton, is that, like, I think you're right. I think when somebody is coming to you and they just want a job, I think that's very apparent. But for someone like me who is obsessed, who was obsessed with theater, I just wanted to meet you. Like, you, you know, you are like, you know, people who played on Broadway were like, like idols of mine. The fact that you played at New World Stages, that was like, it was like meeting like us, like a superstar. You know what I mean? So like, that was, that, that then, was my attitude. Then and, you, you know, met
1: like, me and you're like, no. <laughs> <"Wow, this>
2: dude. <laughs> but but you know what I mean? Like, like that. So, so, you know, and, and, and so there is different approaches because like, I know that you know, a lot of people are gunning for these Broadway gigs because it's like the main gig, but like that's not, you know, there there's so many other factors. Like you can't just you can't just do it because it's the gig in town. Like you have to really want this. Like you like you have to really especially now, you know, because there's so many there's so many things that happen. I mean, you get kicked all the time, you know, like you you New York will screw you. Like it is so hard, you know? And I mean, there have been times, you know, I won that, I won the radio city heart and light show in 2014. And that was like a big break and Harvey Weinstein pulled the plug the day before opening, you know, and there were people in that orchestra. There are trumpet players that I knew that gave up performing because that was such a big letdown because think about it. I mean, they had, they had canceled their entire workload for the summer to do this show. Shows canceled, and they were screwed. And they were like, This business is way too hard. I'm going to go teach. You know, it's just, it's way, it is way too difficult. You know, like you have to like want this with all your heart, you know, and that's because you have to be able to pick yourself up. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, Screw this. I'm not, it's way too difficult. Um, but yeah, to go back to Godspell. So after, you know, our community is like real small you know much smaller than I think people people think and I think when because I was so obsessive about doing it perfectly like Shannon um, I think word got out pretty quickly because then um, I ended up doing Jersey boys I ended up subbing Jersey boys on Broadway um, I ended up um, it it was it was strange because I subbed Jersey boys uh on Broadway on a Friday night Saturday morning at 6 it was saturday morning at 6 a.m i got a call from john miller saying uh hey uh the drummer on the tour uh, hurt his leg can you fly out there today and play the show tonight i went sure you know and that's another thing that i talk about too like when i go to these like you know when i do these like master classes around around the country and stuff it's just like it's just being prepared to to just do that you know i mean if i had a dog or a kid at the time, like, there's no way I would have been able to say, yeah, just get up and go, you know, but you got to like, make your sacrifices, you know? So that was huge. I started working for Miller, you know, I started, I came, I, you know, a, a John Redsucker referred me to the, anything goes tour, started doing the, anything goes tour. And then it was kind of, what happened was I, I heard about radio city in 2013 And I was on the Anything Goes Tour, and I went, oh, I'll just take it. And I ended up winning that audition, leaving the tour early to come back. And that was kind of like, that was, you know, the beginning of my career.
1: So tell me about Radio City. Uh, Only time I have, you know, had any kind of contact with the whole Radio City scene was when I went. It was in 2006. I was going to sub for... Buddy Williams at the first Color Purple. So I got the book, and I was learning it. And I reached out to Tom Oldkowski to possibly sub for him. He said, just come on down and check it out. So I went to watch him play and, and on this big, gigantic riser. We're going up and down. And then you see, and when you're backstage, when everything's closed, you see... And I said this on the podcast before, you see little people, you see animals, you see figure skater, you see people. I'm like, there's, there's this cacophony of stuff going around. But then when the curtain opens, it just, it all works. Then, you know, you're going up and down. And then I had to, I had to listen to the, the recording of Tom Oldakowski, and the, the measure counts 136, 137, 138, <laughs> 139. And then it's like 140, 141, 42, 143. I'm like, oh my God, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard. Uh, and then I'm like, okay, should I listen to Color Purple? And it's like grooving like this. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> but I'm glad I did it because it's such a different thing. Just like doing Broadway is different than doing a regular gig. It's It requires a certain skill. So tell me uh, tell me about Radio City
2: that's 100% right Glenn. you know and it's, it's, it's interesting because people don't you know I, I know a lot of great 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 drummers that haven't succeeded on Broadway that have actually gotten fired and stuff because it is a whole people don't realize it's a whole different ballgame you know and there's different kinds of shows there's shows like your show ain't too proud that's a groove show that's different than let's say a dance show you know that or like more of a you know more of a like an anything goes kind of dance show you know where there's like all these dance hits and stuff there's like different or, or different than radio city where you're playing with the rockets you know also i think that that's an actual person who's doing 140 141 142 That's actually someone sitting there really? with a the microphone or uh, he's recording oh my yeah.
1: god really? <laughs> yeah Wow, it's
2: very funny um so radio city radio city is like a so it's wild, man. It's wild. That, that's just—it's a wild ride. That gig, uh, you know. They hold auditions every year for um, for the chairs, which I think is wonderful because, you know, I, 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 you know, I got really into the business because I won that chair, and I think that a lot of people have as well. And I, and I, you know, most of most of the jobs that you know on Broadway are not audition. You know, you just kind of, you know, you got to work your way around and know the people and they, they ask you. So this is a, this is a nice opportunity for people to show their skill and to try to get in when they don't really know a lot of people. Uh, so I always try to encourage people to, you know, take the audition. It, it's, it's hard to get, get an audition because I know they only listen to maybe 15 or 20 people for, for each instrument, you know, so you, they're, they're really looking for people who who have this kind of theater experience. Um, But yeah, I mean, when I, when I won that chair, man, I was like, first of all, I was freaking out because I was on the road and I knew that, um, the percussion book was all malakat and, and Mario DeCutis, who, um, who's, who created the malakat he's the owner of alternate mode. He's the, he's the percussionist at radio city, or he was, he, he just retired this last year. Um, but, um, I knew that I was playing, you know, all the stuff on a, on a malakat, cat and I, I'd never played on a malakat cat before. So what I, you know, so what I did was I basically got cardboard in my room and I drew, I drew a malakat, cat and I would just practice playing on these malakats cats because, you know, you have to play things like shaker and tambourine and sleigh bells and mark tree all on this malakat. cat. You know, we have, there's like, there's like stacks of cats. We have like one cat for, maybe, you know, xylophone and bells and vibes. And then there's another stack on top that has like the entire row, you know, you know five octaves of sound effects, you know, and they're all labeled, but, you know, it, I wanted to make sure that I was the perfectionist, the OCD person that I am. I wanted to make sure that I was going to nail it when I went into that, into that, you know, into that orchestra room. Um, you know, and so I knew that, you know, I, I list, I marked everything just like how Mario has it. So I was able to practice, okay, shakers here, shakers here, triangles here. Oh, there's three different triangles here. Okay. You know, like,
1: yeah. So let me just go back. (coughs) You, you auditioned for the percussion chair or for the drum chair or for both.
2: So back in 2013, Tom Woldkowski still had the drum chair. He didn't leave until, 2015 I think maybe 2016 and I ended up actually starting to sub for Tom uh, on the drums because when I won the chair the percussion chair the second time I think it was in 2015 uh, Tom came up to me in rehearsals and went hey man I need another sub uh, you know you've won this chair twice We you, you, you want to check it out I know you play Kit I went absolutely man I'm all about it
1: you know. So you had the percussion chair and then you started subbing for the drum chair? Correct. You can do that. Yeah, I got,
2: I yeah, yeah, I got very, you know, there there was not a lot of drum, you know, there weren't a lot of people that were playing drums. And, and I think they, they felt very secure knowing that a cover was there who was always there on percussion, you know, in case, God forbid, anything were to happen to Tom and they couldn't get a sub in. I was there, you know, and I could play it.
1: Do you, Do you have to audition every year?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Everybody does. Everybody does. Now there are some years, uh, there have been certain years in the past where they take people, uh, the radio city has a very strange contract. It's a very different contract than Broadway. Uh, mostly because there was a strike when it was, when there, when it was a regular orchestra, I think 2003 or 2005. Anyway, the musicians went on strike and I guess, we thought that it would, it would, it would be effective and it wasn't unfortunately. And we all had to kind of go crawling back to radio city being, begging for our jobs back and radio city was like, fine, we're going to make this an audition based orchestra. We're going to fire half of you guys. And uh, we're going to continue to fire all the members of the orchestra every year until it's an all audition based orchestra. So that's why You know, in 2013, I auditioned. When I auditioned in 2013, there was a pool. There was a pool of about maybe 25 musicians uh, that had been in the orchestra, you know, from years past. And every year, they would kind of just get rid of a couple, get rid of a couple, get rid of a couple. Um, You know, and 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 you know, you know, that's 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 terrible. Uh, That's terrible, but also. It's like, it's helped people like me, you know, it's helped a lot of people. Now it's an audition based orchestra and everybody has a chance, you know, everybody has a shot. It's not just like, uh, you know, you have this gig and then, well, that gig's taken by so-and-so for the rest of his life,
1: you know? Well, I got a question about that. So say for instance, i um, 20 years old and I can play and I want to play in radio city. I don't know anybody. I go in there and audition and I get the gig. Um, you know, it's different from you going in or Shannon or a lot of people that know a whole bunch of other people. Now, I get the gig. I got to find subs just like, you know, yes. any other. That's right. Yeah, but you, right. you happen to know people that actually can do this since you've done it. Before. Yes,
2: well, fortunately, so here's the thing. So at Radio City, when you win a chair, it's a split chair. There are so many shows at Radio City uh, there's usually over 200 shows in a, in a season, which is like two months. There are so many shows that they make it. They make every chair a split chair, so you split the chair all the shows with another person. So if there's 200 shows, you're playing 100. So usually, um, I've never really seen two really green people win the chair. But also, they're not going to have somebody who's really green come to audition. It's just not going to happen because I mean, they 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 might, but you know, you got to send in your resume, you know, the, the, you have to, oh, okay. okay. you know, you send in your resume and then they pick 15 or 20 people to audition. So like, really you have to be sort of seasoned or they at least have to know that if you win the gig, that they're going to be able to trust you to do, to do the job accordingly, get subs and stuff. But even if there was someone green who didn't know a lot of people, they're usually going to be paired with somebody who, knows the business and they can kind of like, like, for instance, when I won the chair in 2013, I didn't know a lot of people either. Fortunately, I got paired with Dave Roth. And so, I mean, Dave Roth is like the king of percussion. So, mm-hmm. so he knew everybody and everything. And he, he just, he just basically took, took the reins. And I was like, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. Tell me what to do. He's like, we're going to do this. We're going to get these subs because they played a radio city before and this, and I went great day. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. You know, like,
1: so, you were doing the percussion chair at Radio City for a while, or and then did you ever get the drum chair or so, have the drum chair?
2: So, I've never had the drum chair for the Christmas show, but I've won the drum chair twice for other Rocket shows that they've had in other years. Um, uh, sorry, sorry, not twice, once, once. I won, um, so I've won the percussion chair at Radio City twice, and then I won a a percussion chair for heart and lights, which is, that's the show that Harvey Weinstein Mm -hmm. came and pulled the plug. And then there was in 2016, there was the New York spectacular and I won the drum chair for that.
1: So that was really nice. How many shows was was that?
2: So that was over a summer. Uh, we probably did, you know, a hundred shows, you know, it was probably like 12 or 12 or 13 a week. Damn.
1: How many? <laughs> 12. Yeah, it's, it's a up. lot.
2: It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, they're 90 minute shows. So it's not terrible because you could do like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. a Radio City, you know. Yeah. I mean, we'll do like five shows a day. at, at during Christmas time at Radio City, there's five, six shows a day. It's crazy, Clayton. Have you it's done? absolutely. It's I've done the most I've done is four. I can't. I can't. You, you, you can't function. You can't function.
1: <laughs> Wait, so <laughs> if you do four shows a day. Do you, do you split everything with the other drummer? Like, how does that work out with the other drummer? Like, how do you both get equal amounts of work?
2: So normally, so let's say there's like 28 shows in a, in a week. You know, let's say one week has 28 shows. We'll both get 14 shows. And oftentimes, you know, oftentimes what will happen is, you know, you don't, you kind of want to have like days off. At least that's the way I do it. So I'll be like, hey, listen, I'm just going to take every show on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And you take every show on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know. And we'll just, you know.
1: Well, is that something that the two drummers or two percussionists agree on? Or is it something that. ah. Right. So like,
2: yeah. So, you know, you could, you could do it however you want. You could say, oh, okay, I'll play the 11 o'clock. You play the two o'clock. I'll play the five o'clock and you play the eight o'clock. You know, it's just, it's just, you just split it up evenly. And then, you know, you put your list in. And so then they at least know who's going to be there when, you know. Wow. It's a, it's a, it's, yeah.
1: Okay. So training subs for Broadway is different than training subs for Radio City, I'm sure. Big time. How how do you, because I know I, man, I love, subbing is very, very difficult. Like I said on this podcast before, I can't remember who said this. It was probably one of my subs who said, subbing on a Broadway show is like a two and a half hour heart attack because it's very stressful and you have to get it right. And you got to keep your eye on the conductor and try to look at the music, but keep your eye on the conductor because that's your lifeline. But subbing at Radio City with that click track and the guide speaking and then everything going around, it's how do you train somebody to be prepared to sub at Radio City?
2: So most of the time at Radio City, whenever I've gotten the chair, I try to get people who won the chair. That's kind of how the MO is there. Um, because, you know, let's say 15 guys audition, probably five of those guys have held the chair before, you know, and whoever really wins the chair, then they know those other five guys are going to sub. Because it's just, first of all, it's too difficult. It's, 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 the shows are way, it's, it's too compact a schedule to actually train someone new. I have seen it done, but it's also hard because you don't sub out that much, you know, and I'm not going to have somebody learn a show, kill themselves for three shows. That's not right. So it's usually people who have, who have learned the book before, you know, because it's usually the same book. It's usually, you know, every year they'll change maybe five minutes of music. So five Ah. minutes of music out of 90, you know, is just different. So it's usually the same people over and over and over again uh, to to sub, really, you know. And that's I have seen new people come in. I, I don't really like to do that because, like I said, because it's just it's not really fair. It's not fair to do that to somebody. It's you know because it's not like a Broadway show. But you mentioned something very interesting, Clayton, about locking in with the conductor, um, and I find that to be some of the one of the like the Something on the forefront of subbing is staring at the conductor no matter what, because they're the ones that are giving you the job. I mean, you've already gotten the job from the drummer. So now how are you going to make the conductor feel good? And the way that you're going to make anybody feel good in any situation is to lock in with them and to make them feel like you are on their side. The worst thing you can do as a drummer in a subbing situation, is not look up and have the conductor be scared because they're thinking that you're going to miss something. You are never going to be welcome back, even if you play a great show, because you're not making them feel comfortable. So I try. I I learned early on. I heard always memorize the first three tunes, and so I normally memorize the first three tunes. So all I'm doing is looking at the conductor, you know. And 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 there's also, you know, sometimes conductors aren't actually conductors because sometimes conductors are keyboard players. Maybe they're a sub, maybe they're not great conductors because maybe they're keyboard players that just like got promoted to, you know, conducting or, or whatever. Oftentimes that doesn't happen. And I don't really see that very much, but, and it doesn't really happen very much on Broadway, but certainly in the past, um, I have had to, There's a game that goes on when you're playing drums with a conductor sometimes where you have to, it's not pretend, but if a conductor doesn't really know what they're doing, you kind of have to make them comfortable while actually being in control of the situation. You know what I mean? Like they may be looking at you to move faster, but maybe that's not actually what they want. And once you start moving faster, they go, whoa, 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 that's not what I want. Because... Maybe they're not so trained in that. And so there's certainly, there is a bigger, there's like a bigger picture of knowing what the music needs, knowing what the theater needs, knowing what the show needs, knowing how to make the conductor feel comfortable and putting it where it's supposed to be, you know, and taking cues as much as possible. And maybe even nodding your head when a conductor is looking at you doing something and maybe you don't change a thing but you're nodding your head and they're going right on, right on. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's, 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 and that's, and that's why great drummers can fail because there is so much more going on besides just playing the music or playing groove there. It's like such a bigger picture, you know, that you really have to know what you're getting yourself into when you go and sit down, especially on the drum chair, you know, that's, that's the hot seat, you know, and you really have to be a, a specific kind of person to do that. I
1: believe, you know, well, you've wound up, you wound up doing a bunch of different subbing. Uh, uh, you wound up doing a bunch of different shows as a sub like, uh, Chaplin, I guess you were subbing for Shannon Ford again. Yes. Yes, sir. Nice work. If you can get it. Yes. And yeah, who after the Red on, John Red. That was Zucker John
2: Sucker. That was after, uh, Eric Poland left. Eric Poland left. Uh, ah. t- and and John Redsecker took it over and I was able to
1: play for, for John. What is On the 20th Century? I haven't heard of that one.
2: So that was um, a show that was conducted by Kevin Stites, who was the conductor of um, Radio City for the past seven years. And I ended up um, having a very good rapport with him, so much so that uh, when this guy, Eric... Um, who, who, who is, who is sort of, he, I mean, he, he's, he's well connected, but I think that was his first show and he didn't have, um, not his, I mean, his first Broadway show he had done, like, I believe Lame Is and he had done the Lame tour and he had done a lot of stuff with Kevin, but, um, that, that was a circumstance where I was recommended by Kevin, uh, you know, which is, which is, which is something that maybe we could talk about as well with the idea that really conductors are now picking subs as opposed to the drummers themselves oftentimes oftentimes now which you know is is good and bad you know
1: yeah you you can pick your subs but when they don't make the conductor comfortable they're not going to be asked back right especially if they can't take notes (laughs) a hundred percent and like, no, I, did it, I did it that way it's like no you know right doesn't matter what you right you did, even though you might be right
2: right that's probably the worst thing you know my friend peter saleh he always has an expression he says is it better to be right or effective i always think about that man like you could be right till the day's end you want a job be effective do the job say yes fix it make sure it's it's right or this, or whatever it is the next time and make sure they know that you're doing it so that you can correct it and they feel comfortable, 100%. There's
1: a saying also, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Same thing, effective, happy. You know, you can be right all you want, but like Peter said, you can be effective. And, and effective and happy are somewhat synonymous. I mean, they, they kind of go hand in hand because you want to be happy by getting asked back and getting that money and getting the opportunity to work with these great musicians, and then getting other opportunities to work on other shows, and hopefully get your own show because you went from subbing at Chaplin, Nice Work if You Can Get It, on the 20th Century, a Bronx Tale, Jersey Boys, Sunset Boulevard, Miss Saigon, yes. Aladdin, mm-hmm. and then I remember seeing or hearing that you got your first show, and I was so happy for you. I'm trust me, I'm happy. When I see other drummers and percussionists get their own show because I know what it's like having a show, especially having a show that runs for a long time. It's a wonderful thing. So I'm like, Congratulations. You got Beetlejuice. Yes. Sir. Was that because not only because you're just a great human being and a great musician? <laughs> but how did you get <laughs> how did you get into that show?
2: Um, I think, well, I think all it, it seemed like all of the stars kind of lined up uh, for that show in particular, because I had been wor- I had been working for Howie Joins, who is the contractor of Beetlejuice for a long time. I had done, I did the Aladdin tour for him. Uh, I subbed at Aladdin. He's the contractor at Radio City. He knows my playing very, very well. I would say I worked I work for him more than I work for any other conductor. And it just so happened that Shannon Ford, who, you know, my close friend, mentor, and and guy who gave me my first shot was the drummer. And it just lined up really well. I, uh, Shannon was in, um, they were working on Beetlejuice in DC. I happened to be going down to DC to do a show down there. Like, uh, like, uh, I was doing something at the Kennedy center and, you know, I, called Shannon. I said, man, you're in DC. Let's hang. He said, Oh, you know, I'm doing Beetlejuice, the show. Why don't you come over and uh, meet the music director at this uh, at this, you know, we're going to be hanging out at this, at this bar. So I went, I met the music director. That was really cool. You know? And I think it just kind of lined up because when they, you know, when they were looking for a percussionist, I think it was very easy for Shannon to be like, Hey man, Josh is going to kill it. And then for Howie to be like, Oh yeah, Josh already works for me. You know, you know, at least that's how I think, you know, at least, you know, how it lined up because everybody knew me. It wasn't it wasn't probably wasn't that difficult of a decision. I mean, I know they had a lot of people to consider, but, you know, with Shannon gunning for me, for Howie there, you know, because uh, the music director, Chris, didn't know me. But, you know, with so many people on my side, you know, being like, listen, man, this is this is the cat you want. This is this is the person that you want. And I so I was very fortunate to have those kinds of endorsements you know, cause it's not an audition, you know, it's not a, you know, and I, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, I think I, I'm like, I'm very honored. I'm like, I'm, it's, it's amazing. Our, our business is so amazing, man, because like we, our community is so wonderful. You know, we always, tr- we, I feel like we're always trying to like help each other. And especially because since our community is so small and that's so advantageous, you know, I always hear like, Like for the Radio City audition, you know, Um, John Berger wrote me yesterday, you know, John Berger. And he was just like, he was like, man, I love going there. And there's just no competitive vibes. Everybody's just like there. We all know we're all gunning for the same job. But it's like at the end of the day, you know, this is a two month gig, you know, and it's not going to doesn't it doesn't help me to try to sabotage or be an asshole or whatever it is in the long run, it doesn't help it. So, you know, I have no problem, you know, for instance, a lot of people wrote me about the radio city audition, because I've wanted, I've wanted a lot, you know, I've won it several times and I could easily be, you know, be a jerk about it and be like, no, I want to win this job. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to help anybody, but that's not the attitude to have, you know, because in the long game that's not going to help. So I, You know, someone writes me, they say, Hey man, this passage doesn't make sense. I don't really understand it. And I'll tell them, I'll be like, this is what you should do. This is what I think. And I'm honest with them because the best person's going to get the job at the end of the day. You know, I mean, nothing I say, you know, I, I could help you out as much as you want. I mean, it's, you're the one that's going to be playing it, you know? So I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I don't, I don't understand the whole like, trying to like be sneaky or undermine people. I mean, that's just not gonna
1: work in our business, man. Now I know that the auditions recently happened at Radio City. Do you know anything about what's going on? No,
2: 2020? nothing. We'll probably hear we'll probably hear something, you know, something this week, I'm sure. Probably. Okay. They sh- usually usually, you know, the information usually comes out, you know, the week after. So we'll see.
1: You know? Is it like a thing where you know you go to a door, and you see your name and a report card, and you find yeah. it. There. <laughs> <laughs> I got the gig. Well, I don't.
2: I don't know. You know. Uh, sometimes, you know, in the past, they've called sometimes, and sometimes it's been an email. Oh wow! You know, so I don't. I don't know. You know, I just like sit by my phone and stare at it, praying for the call, man. <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: All right, a couple other questions for you. What's the hardest hardest? Uh, the show. or What's the most difficult show that you've ever subbed on, and why?
2: Wow, there's there's so there's so many. You know, because they're all they're all just so difficult in their own regard. You know, there's there's so there's so many challenges. Uh, you know, each show presents itself its own challenge. You know, I mean, Chaplin was so difficult, and Shannon. I mean, that book was so hard. And I remember there were things like, you had to play like woodblock with your left foot while doing xylophone runs. And I remember at the end of the show, you had to tune the timpani while playing a drum groove. You had to literally, I had to play a, drum, a bass drum groove with my left foot while tuning a timpani with my right. I mean, that was incredibly difficult. And Jan, I was like, Shannon, you are just a master, man. He is just an absolute master. But, um, I mean, that's div- different than like, let's say Miss Saigon when I sub for Miss Saigon for Ray, that was a very difficult show because
1: Ray Marchica for those people that don't know
2: Ray Marchica, who's also a master, he, um, he, they were in a, a completely separate room in a back room. Um, and that was difficult because, you know, certain, certain, um, certain conductors do things a certain way and that orchestra actually did the kind of thing where like they would they would play like how an orchestra plays where they put it a little bit behind the beat when the conductor goes down it's like not right with the conductor which is fine but as a sub it's really difficult to know especially as a drummer when there's no click where you're going to place the 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 you know your hits and so that was also really difficult especially because there was a little bit of latency on the monitors so couple the latency with the monitors with the fact that people are that were that we're all putting it a little bit behind where the stick is going down that was a tif- very difficult situation because that was just you had to use your ears you know you just had to use your ears and watch like a hawk um you know and that was that was james uh 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 I'm shoot. I'm, I'm blanking. I'm blanking on his name. That the conductor, who's a phenomenal conductor, and so he, you know, I just had to really stay on him. But I think probably the most difficult, to be honest, the most difficult show for me was probably the easiest to play, which was Jersey Boys. Jersey Boys is a very, very simple show, and because it was so simple, it can be very difficult, and you can space out. And that was the, that was was one of the hardest things, especially when it's like. So it's all like, it's like, Big girls don't share. Share. Walk like a man. <laughs> They're all just like doing gun gun. Oh, okay, gun, okay. Gun. For like four hundred fifty like measures.
1: A, I thought there was a medley there. I'm like, Whoa. no, no, no. I'm
2: just saying, like, for four hundred fifty measures, you're going Bun, gun 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 gun, but you better hit that crash symbol on measure 325, you know, don't zone out enough. So like that, that was very difficult because it's hard to be engaged and especially because the drums were on stage and you had to, the drums were moving around the stage just like, you know, and because, because of that, you have to play differently. Because if, if the, if a singer standing right next to the kid, I can't blast, I can't, I got to be very sensitive to where I am on stage. So not only, Am I having to be really engaged because, you know, the music is so simple that I could just zone out, but I also have to be really engaged because I'm moving around. I have to like, oh, the, this, this guy's microphone's right there. I better play accordingly, you know? And so that was, that was a very difficult thing just to like, also it had to be memorized. I'm not very good at the whole memorize it thing, you know, cause I, I like to, I like looking at the paper. I love that. You know, I, that's like my lifeline. So that was hard too.
1: you know, I usually ask you kind of covered a lot of the the questions I was going to ask you as far as what, you know, kind of things a drummer should always do in a pit, basically watch a conductor. You know,
2: the, the, and time, man, time is so key. That's like the most important I see. And like, I feel like there's like this school of thought now at a lot of conservat, you know, conservatories and stuff where time is, is like secondary. It's all about sound. And I, I think it's the opposite. I think time is first sound is second sound will come, you know, you, you got to study, you got to, you know, work on your ears and getting the sound that you want to hear yourself. But man, time is the most important thing, especially in these pitch shows, man, you know, and like, I remember one time I, w- I went to Sister Act and I was watching Rich Mercurio play. That man, he, so we were, he was playing this song and I was sitting watching him the whole time. And all of a sudden, you know, it kind of gets a little quiet and he, he stops playing and I hear a click start. And I'm, I'm going, oh man, Rich, like, that's so weird. Like, when did the click start? Did it, did it just start? He's like, no man, the click's been on in the beginning. <laughs> that guy covered the click so bad so well i had no idea it was on the entire song i went that that is what i'm aiming for a hundred percent that is what i'm aiming for that's the key that was amazing man i was just like blown away
1: it's blown away do you have um endorsements with any drum manufacturers at all?
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yep. Yeah. I'm with uh, Vic Firth, and I'm with Sabian. I also really like this other small company called Treehouse. They make like a lot of they make like uh, drums out of their out of their home. I, they might have a shop now, but they make really great drums. I have like a hip gig from them, so I also use their 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 gear a lot as well.
0: Let's
1: mm, check that company out. How'd you find out about them? That
2: was a early on. Um, a friend, actually, Danny Taylor, I think, uh, got me involved. Uh, uh, him and a couple other guys got me involved with them. And uh, they ended up, when I was on the tour, tour with Anything Goes, they ended up sending me uh, some, some, some kits to, to just try on the road, some, like, hip gigs to try with rehearsals. And I would kind of, like, talk to them about the, the gear and, like, oh, I like this strainer, I don't like this strainer, let's try this. And they'd send me stuff, and that was very cool. Hmm. And Sabian was, Sabian was wild because when I was 12, this is kind of, it was a little embarrassing, but my, my mother, she was like big on me modeling when I was a kid and I couldn't stand it, but I, I did it all the time. Like I would model for like Guess and gap and like at the malls and stuff, like as like this, like little kid, like 10, 11 years old. But, uh, I actually got a, I got a, a, um, I did a Sabian shoot from, for modern drummer. I, I don't know where it is. I don't know where I, I have the picture somewhere, but it was like, it was like, I was like on a drum set and you know, they took a couple pictures of me, you know, and then it was interesting because then they had like 150 symbols shoot right after my shoot. And I walked into this giant warehouse and there was just like thousands of symbols laid out all over the floor. And they just turned to me and they went, go ahead pick, take whatever you want. And I went, what? Really? And so, of course, it's like, it's not, you know, I, I, you know, I think back to that time. I'm like, man, I like pick the dirtiest, like I found like a 24 inch giant metal ride that was like this thick, and like <laughs> I picked symbols that were like, you know, like totally out, you know, I would never use now, but like, but when I contacted Savi and I was like, hey, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm a Broadway drummer, and I actually bought one for you guys in a magazine. <laughs> You know they're like all right all right come on in josh
1: that's great man i'd love to see that so i guess uh since you're waiting for word for radio city you're going to go back to modeling again that's what i hear and uh
2: yes that's right that's exactly <laughs> what people want to see <laughs> <laughs> you're
1: gonna have your own line of clothing you know yeah. <laughs> you know we should invent drumming clothing you know like, Clothing specific for drummers.
2: Wait, they had like a, they had like a drummer shirt. Really? That like, that, that like produced different sounds and you could like play it. (laughs) They had that. That was like five years. I remember seeing that. Obviously it didn't catch on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That's funny. Well, one, one last thing. How can people find you on social media? Do you have a website? Uh,
2: Yep, you could find me at, at joshuamarksamuels.com. That's my website. Um you could, you know, anybody can contact me uh, you know, uh, you know, you can look up uh, all my info on my website. You know, I'm on Facebook, joshuamarksamuels, and you know, I talk to people all the time, man. You, you know, I I'm more than happy to to talk to everybody and anyone about any of this stuff because uh, you know, I'm going to be working for them one day.
1: <laughs> you know? <laughs> well i wish you well i hope you get this radio city i hope beetlejuice comes back
2: thank you brother
1: and i'm looking forward to that uh the, the new line of clothing, the modeling, the, the modeling <laughs> spread that comes out.
2: <laughs> Josh, yes, Joshua sir. Mark. yes, sir. That's I'm going to have to send you a picture to put with this podcast. You know, <laughs> a picture of me on the set Oh, my goodness.
1: Yes, yes, man. I'm great. never
2: going to live this down. I'm never going to live this down. Now everybody in the community is going to notice <laughs> that I did this.
1: <laughs> uh, man, you know, you just do a new one. Just do you behind a drum set. 2021 style, man. Just model your own thing, man. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was great talking to you. You have so many, you know, so much, so many words of wisdom. And I hope people learned a lot from uh, this uh, podcast. And looking forward to actually seeing you in person and going out to dinner like we did in 2008, whatever (laughs) year it was.
2: Absolutely, Clayton. Absolutely.
1: Thanks again. And uh, we will definitely talk soon. Thank you, brother. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the broadway drumming 101 podcast head over to the broadway drumming 101 youtube page where you'll find unedited conversations that i've had with some of your favorite musicians on the youtube page you're going to find bonus content that i don't feature on my instagram page or here on the podcast don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded thank you for listening and stay tuned for more